As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Beyond the Image, the podcast dedicated to helping you develop beyond the image in your creative career. Here's your host, photographer, public speaker, and business coach, James Patrick. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this, our latest episode of the Beyond the Image podcast. So truly glad that you could take some time out of your week to spend with me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the five-star reviews on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. I cannot stress how much this actually helps the show. The more reviews it gets, the more this show spreads. So thank you so much for that. Uh, This is going to be a really interesting episode. I'm curious where this is going to go. Uh, We are going to be talking about money and everything in and around money as it relates to the creative services. Uh, You know, I know most of the listeners of the show are photographers, and we're going to talk about really what some of the blocks are that creatives have. And and to be clear, it's not just creatives. It's any entrepreneur that so many people starting off in their journey, what the barriers are when it comes to wealth, when it comes to money, when it comes to earning. And there's this interesting perception that, you know, maybe it's that idea that we have to be a starving artist. Maybe it's that that idea that it's hard to make money in this business. I remember when I first picked up a camera, I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, and it was it was a Canon AE-1 steel body, 35 millimeter camera. I remember saying to my father, oh, it'd be interesting to take photos for a living, you know, and I had admired all the National Geographic magazines and all the iconic photos that we had seen in print media growing up. And I remember specifically what my father said to me, he says, it's an expensive hobby. That was ingrained in my mind for so many years. And it wasn't until many, many, many years later that I actually became a professional photographer that I realized that this is not a hobby at all. Yes, it's expensive, by the way, but there's a real amazing potential to make a great income as a photographer. And I ended up leaving my marketing job at the bottom of the recession to launch a six-figure photography business in my first year. In my first year, I launched a six-figure photography business, and I only grew it since then. So there's real potential to make real income in this industry, but a lot of it involves our mindset, what we think about money, what we think about marketing, what we think about sales. So we are going to dive into all of this, and really no specific order, because there's a lot that I want to get to in this show. 
And if this is resonating with you, if this is if this is jumping out to you, I want you to to hit me up on Instagram at jpatrickphoto. You can you can post this photo or this episode to Instagram and say I'm listening to this. This is what I think about this. Like, let me know how this is vibing with you, how this is resonating with you, because I want to help you break those barriers. I want to help you make some money, and that's really what this is about. Like, one, realize that it's okay to want to make money. It's okay to say, I want to do this and I want to do this for a living. And why is it okay to say that? Because to do this for a living is to impute that we do not want to burn out on this, that we want to be paid what our value is, that we want to be compensated for the worth and for the the energy and for the emotion, for the effort that we put into our art. And to be paid for that shifts how we look at it. To be paid for it changes how we talk about what we're doing. It shifts us from talking about things as if it were a hobby to owning what we do. This is what I do. This is what my passion is. This is what my direction is. I own this because I took a paycheck for it. It puts us on the hook. It makes us accountable. And that's an amazing place to be. Okay. Now, what do we often say? We hear it all the time, and I, and I promise you've said it, and I guarantee I've probably said it in my past too. We say, well, I'm bad at selling. And that's the first thing I want to get into is I'm bad at selling. I'm not good at selling. Well, guess what? You're actually amazing at selling because you just sold yourself that you're not good at selling. I talk to my team when we do sales trainings within our company, and I'll talk to my team and say, every time you talk to a client, a sale is made every single time. And there's a pause and they think, well, how am I supposed to sell every client? I says, well, you might not, but a sale will be made. Either you sell them on the product or service that we're selling or they sell you on why they can't buy it. But a sale is made. Okay. Now, the reason we say we're bad at selling and the reason we have this, this contrasted view of I am not a salesperson is because of what we think a salesperson is. When we think about sales, when we think about marketing, we think about one of really three things, and they're all the same, but I'll give you three visual examples. One is the used car salesman who's trying to push off a lemon on you, who's trying to take advantage of you. We think about the telemarketer who's interrupting you and trying to to vie for your attention when you're really busy. And we think about the spam emailer who's trying to slide into your inbox and disrupt whatever it is that you're doing. Okay, those are the things we think about when we think about sales. Okay, we think about the most evil person in sales. Say, well, I'm not that person, so I must not be good at sales. And my contention with that is that is not sales and that is not marketing. To me, selling is about telling your story. To me, marketing is about authenticity. And if you could tell your story and you could be authentic, then you can sell yourself. Okay. I was having a conversation this morning on something called decision velocity. All right. So let me break down decision velocity. I do something where every morning I go for a run. First thing in the morning, I do it before I have coffee. I don't want to do it first thing in the morning, but I'm always glad I, I did it once it's done. Now, we have this in our lives. There are things we don't want to do, but we're always glad we did them afterwards. Running for me every morning, and I don't go for a long run. It's just to get my blood flowing. It's just to force myself right away, first thing, to force myself to do something that I don't necessarily want to do. And you know what I do after the run? Well, after the run, immediately after the run, I meditate and I journal. That's part of my daily habits. But then I take a ice-cold shower ice cold, as cold as I can get that shower, I will take a cold shower. Now, in the summer, which we're, you know, I live in Arizona, it's already, we're entering the three digits now. 
it's not hard to take an ice shower. It is really hard to do it in the winter when it's cold outside and you just got in from a cold run and then you are stepping into ice cold water. It is not fun. Now, the decision to do this, I I imagine myself standing right outside the shower, watching the water come down, maybe touching it with my hand and just anticipating the pain anticipating how much this is going to suck to step into the shower, how much I am not going to enjoy this. And I do the same thing before my run. Oh, this run is going to be hard. I, and I'm imagining being short of breath. And I'm imagining how tired my muscles are going to feel and how much my body already aches from whatever workout I did yesterday and how I'm not going to enjoy this. But then at some point, I decide that I'm going to do it and that I'm doing it. Okay. So At some point, I decide I'm going to step into that shower and I'm going to do this. And yeah, it the run isn't always the best, and that ice shower doesn't always feel good. Okay, there are times I stand there, I'm like, oh, I can't believe this happening. But then my body adjusts, it adapts, it changes. Okay, and this is important because at some point in the run, I'm on the run, and I'm not turning around to go home. I'm on the run. And then I get, it, I get it going. And whenever I get home, whenever I, you know, and I run, like I said, it's not a long run. It's maybe like a mile, a little over a mile. And when I get home, I always, always, always feel better after doing it. When I step out of that shower or, you know, after doing the ice shower for, and I try to push as long as I can, but let's say it's a couple minutes, then I turn the water on hot and I reward myself. Okay. Like after the run, I reward myself with a meditation and journaling session to some really soft music. Like that's my reward. So I did something I did not want to do and I rewarded myself. Now, decision velocity is all about speeding up the time it takes to make that decision to do that thing. Because I was thinking about it, how much time do we waste trying to decide to do something that makes us uncomfortable, trying to decide to take an action that we're not looking forward to, that we're just anticipating how much it's going to suck or how uncomfortable it's going to make us. And we just sit there and we waste so literally so much time of our lives just paralyzed by trying to decide that, yeah, I'm going to do this. Okay. So my big focus is in every part of my life to speed up my decision process, to do things, not not to complete the action faster, but to get into the act of doing it faster, to decide faster. Okay. So to, to have decision velocity. Now, how does this apply to sales and marketing? Well, how often do we hesitate to market ourselves? How often do we hesitate to sell ourselves? Because we're anticipating it not going well, that something will not go well the way we intended it to, that the client is going to say no, that the client is going to push back, that the client is going to reject us, that our marketing will not work, that it's not good enough, right? And we sit there in decision paralysis, not putting things in front of others to get feedback. But if you tell your story and you tell it authentically and you tell it from a place of adding value to your clients, that's sales. That's marketing. And the best way to get good at sales and the best way to get good at marketing is, one, to have that decision velocity, to speed up the time it takes to get out there, to sell yourself, to pitch yourself, to talk about your services, to promote what you're doing, the better you're going to get at it. Now, I know I've talked about in previous episodes the difference between proactive and reactive marketing. This is essential. Reactive marketing is I throw stuff up on Instagram and I wait for people to hire me. I set up a website and I wait for people to hire me. Okay? Like you could run an ad 
and you wait for people to hire you. That is reactive marketing. You're reacting to things that are happening. Proactive marketing is what I am a proponent of. Every year, I list out the clients I want to be working with, and then every year, I work to build those relationships. That's proactive. I pick up the phone. I send out mailers. I go out to do in-person meetings. I reach out to clients. I proactively market and sell myself because guess what? Everyone that I'm connecting with, hiring photographers is not their main job. Okay. It might be one of the one of the things they do, but they have jobs to do. Okay. And I'm not at the forefront of their mind every day. So I have to earn their attention. Okay. And that's what I that's what my focus is, is earning the attention. The the way I earn attention is by building great relationships. That's my focus is to build great relationships. I am not a transactional based business. My business is predicated upon building the best relationships so that people want to hire me over and over and over again. And that could take years. Truly, it can. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that because I've been doing it for so long that I get a lot of new clients every year, but it may have taken years for those clients to come around. But because I've been doing this for as long as I have, every year I'm getting new clients. Okay. So it builds upon itself. Now, one of the things I look at, and I was asked this at my at my recent marketing seminar, is how I look at pricing projects. Okay. And I talked a little bit about you want to price in correlation to the client's value that they're going to set in your given market. So your price is based on the experience, it's based on what you're offering is, what's included, like your background, like all this can adjust your pricing, okay? But it's also going to be related to the clients you are putting it in front of. So if you're a premium brand, like well, cars are the easiest ones. Like let's let's just say uh you're a Mercedes and you're targeting people who want to buy a Buick, your value is going to be too high for them to invest. But if you're Mercedes and you're targeting Mercedes clients or clients who would want a Mercedes or want the value of a Mercedes, now your price is in alignment with your target audience. So knowing who your target audience is, is an important part of what you're charging. Okay. So I have three types of clients. Okay. I have independent clients Independent clients are so-and-so needs a headshot done. So-and-so wants an update to a modeling portfolio. So-and-so needs some promotional images that they can use to promote themselves and their brand. Okay, so an independent individual client. Okay, so that's one. For that, my price is based on my experience and the value I offer to those clients. Now, in my market in Arizona where I am, I'm one of the most expensive photographers for these independent clients. And most independent clients will not hire me as a result. And I'm okay with that. That's fine. Because I have nearly 20 years of experience creating the right images that help the right clients. Now, the right clients. Now, for me, the right clients are more often than not health and fitness professionals and entrepreneurs. If a health and fitness professional or entrepreneur wants to make the images that are going to get them into magazines, that are going to help brand them, that are going to be able to be used to successfully market them, their services, their brand, I'm the photographer that they need to hire. Contrast that. If you are a fashion model, I might not be the right photographer for you because my value might be too high relative to the work that I offer. Okay, My portfolio is not as strong in fashion, and I understand that. 
Okay. So it's knowing who your clients are. It's knowing what value you have for them. And then it's trying to keep in alignment with that. So at the end of the day, you set your price for your independent clients, but understand the market may shift that. Okay. So be prepared for that and be prepared to have that conversation of, and, and I will tell clients to reach out to me. I say, I'm going to be the most expensive photographer you talk to, but here's why. And then tell them why. And some clients are totally fine with it. And those are the clients who hire me. And those are the clients I build relationships with. And other clients, it's too high for them. And what I say to them is always the same thing. I said, no worries at all. In fact, here are two or three names of photographers who have a similar style to what I can create, who I think you're going to be very happy with. And then I refer the workout. And I don't get commissions for referring the workout. I just refer it out. And I can't tell you the number of times those clients will come back to me later in their career when they're ready to invest. Because that's what it is. It's an investment. And by the way, another another little bonus thing. When I talk about what I charge, I usually don't say charge. I usually don't say cost. And I usually don't say price. I usually say investment. Because to work with me is an investment. And your investment will return higher than what you invested. And if your investment returns higher than what you invested, then your investment costs you nothing. Cost can cost can infer a negative connotation. Investment never does. Now, my next lineup of clients, we talked about independent clients. My next lineup of clients would be editorial clients, magazines, publications. And for magazine clients, they just tell me what their rate is. And it's up to me whether I want to take it or not. And I do a lot of magazine work. And I do magazine work that pays really well. And I do magazine work that doesn't pay well at all. Okay. It, it, it's not based on the amount of work I do. It's based on the publication, their readership, and what their page rates are are and they will tell me that and it's it's my decision to take it or not take it and i'll talk about how i approach that decision here shortly the third is commercial projects commercial projects are shooting ad campaigns shooting anything for a commercial marketing purpose for a company so maybe not an independent person but a company all right that's how that's how i kind of define commercial work is it is there's a usage associated with it. So commercial work, I get asked to bid on. Like For example, I got a call from a doctor's office and they said, hey, we have a couple doctors. We need some headshots. We need some shots of the office, the exterior, the building, some facility shots, some shots of them with some simulated patients, some like, you know, kind of day in the life of type shots. I said, okay. So I took all that and I put together a creative bid, a proposal of here's my approach and here's my cost. Now, when I put together a cost on commercial services, I line item everything, every single thing. And here's why. Because when it comes to having to negotiate that contract, I can discuss everything. It's not just this lump sum that I just pulled out of thin air. I'll say, okay, here's my day rate to do this project and my day rate is just what it is. Okay, here's my day rate. Then it's, here's the usage fee. So you said you wanted to use it for a couple years on the website only. This is the cost for this number of images for website only, or this number of images for website and then print usage, or you want it for five years instead of three years, like whatever it is, there will be a number specific to the number of images that they want. Then it will be the number of post-production images they want. Uh, My assistance fee, uh, any rental gear that I have, uh, any travel expenses I have, like all these are separate line items in my proposal. So let's just say using round numbers, let's just say I have a client that I submitted a bid to is $20,000. And the client comes back to me and says, you know, we really want to work with you. 
what can you do for $17,000? Like that's our top line budget. I'll look at it and say, well, let's change the usage from five to four years, or instead of 20 edits, maybe it's 15 edits. Like, because everything has a number associated to it. So I can adjust anything. The one thing I never adjust is my day rate. That's just my rate to be there. It's the one thing that's not ever adjusted. And to be clear, I'm not changing the price on things. I'm adjusting the deliverables in relation to their to their price. So if 10 images at 1,000 each is $10,000 and their budget's $9,000, well, we'll just give you nine images instead. This is how you can negotiate contracts and how you can ebb and flow your proposals to match what your clients need. This literally, the same thing happened to me last week as of recording this episode where we submitted a video project because I have a partner who does video. Our video bid came in at $9,000. The client needed it at six. So what we did was we changed the deliverables we were giving, the number of edits we were giving them, and we got it to $6,025. Okay, so $25 over where they needed to be, and that's how we were able to negotiate with that. Okay, so once again, now you see how you can position yourself and you can adjust what you're doing for clients without changing your rates, which is devaluing your work. Because once you devalue your day rate, you will never get that back from a client. And how often have you heard from a client who says, you know, I really want to work with you. If you help me out on this one, there's so many more projects in the future. I've fallen for this, and I've fallen for this like 101 times. <laughs> and it took 101 times for me to realize, you know what? I'll give amazing prices and amazing deals and amazing discounts to clients who've already returned. Why would I give that to a first-time client? That doesn't make sense. It does it. A client that's promising work that may or may not ever come, does it make sense to help them out versus a client who's been with you for years? Makes sense to help out the client that's been with you for years. And that's how you can say it. Like, I reward long-term clients, and I would, and I look forward to having a long-term relationship with you. Okay. So we talked about, oh, and I mentioned that I wanted to talk about how I value projects. So whether I want to say yes or no to a project to begin with, I look at three things. The first thing I look at is the creative opportunity of a project. So I'll contrast magazine work and commercial work. In most magazine work, I have almost 100% creative control over what I'm doing. And the reason magazines don't pay as much is because they give the photographer the chance to be their most creative, to do their best, most creative, most original work for magazines. Okay, And that's why I love working with magazines, even though it doesn't pay as much. I get lots of creative control, okay? So I look at the creative value of a project. The second is I look at the financial value of a project. What literally could I make from this project? Usually, usually, the creative value and the financial value are inversely related, meaning the more creative control I get, usually the less money the client has to pay me. So I said we'll contrast editorial versus commercial. So shooting for magazines, not a big creative budget, or not a big financial budget, but lots of creative control, so inversely related. Commercial projects, there may be no creative component at all. I was shooting for a major online retailer, and literally I just photographed someone putting something in a box and someone taking something out of a box for eight hours a day, but it was the biggest project I booked all that year financially. Okay, so no creative control on it, but the payoff was really well, okay? So those two are inversely related. Now, the third thing, because I said there's three, the third thing is something that only I decide, that only I decide, that only I decide. And I want, and I keep saying that because what you don't want is a client to say to you, this is a tremendous opportunity for you. Because if they say it, it's probably not. It's more of an opportunity for them than it is for you. 
And my guess is you've heard this before. Okay. So it's the opportunity value. You set the opportunity value for you, yourself. I set it for myself, the opportunity this project would have. And if a client's telling me this is a great opportunity, it's probably just a great opportunity for them to get my services at a lower rate. But if this really is a great opportunity for me and I can decide that, then I can leverage it. So here's how this works is a few years ago, actually, this is closer to 10 years ago, I got, I got an email from a magazine that wanted to hire me to photograph a first round draft pick for their publication. And I said, okay, well, what are you looking for? And they told me what they're looking for. They said, we love your work. We just, we want you to do you, uh, just create something we can use. And I said, okay, so I get lots of creative control. So there it is. I said, what's the, what's the fee? And the budget was real low. In fact, I was probably gonna lose money because I had to travel and hire an assistant. So I'm probably going to lose money on this job. But then I look at the opportunity, which I set, and I get a first-round draft pick in front of my camera to do whatever I want for several hours. That's a huge opportunity. So I said yes. So I said yes. I got to make the photos I wanted to make. I did end up losing money on the project, but because of the way we structured the contract, I retained rights to the photos after a year. I resold them to another magazine, ended up making more money, and those photos, I use them in my portfolio, and they helped me land bigger jobs with bigger clients because of what I was able to create with those photos. So that was a huge opportunity that worked in my favor. Okay, so that is how I evaluate projects. Now, understand that there are so many different ways to make money as an artist. And, and I'll give you two different, two different scenarios. One is if you want to make a certain amount of money, let's say six figures is your goal. The best way to make six figures is to write out what that six figures is. Is it 100,000? Is it 120,000? Is it 150,000? Is it 200,000? Like, are you going into the multiple six figures? Let's just say it's $100,000. $100,000. Okay. And then based off that $100,000, what is your service that you offer? Well, I shoot $1,000 packages. Okay. So how many $1,000 packages do you need to sell to get $100,000? Well, I need to sell 100 of them. Okay. So in selling a hundred of them, how many do you need to sell a month? There are 12 months in a year. So you need to sell between eight and nine every single month. So that's roughly about two a week. It's probably almost exactly two a week that if you sell two a week, you will make a hundred thousand dollars. Now, also figure out how many days of the year do you want to be shooting? Let's say you only want to be shooting 20 days a year. So that $100,000 divided by 20, because I'm bad at math, I literally have my calculator in my hand. So you need to be charging $5,000 a project if you only want to shoot for 20 days a year. Or to have enough projects to fill up 20 days for a sum total of $5,000 each day. Maybe you charge $2,500 a project and you need to book 40 of them to create what you need to do to get to that $100,000. And you, you might be thinking, well, that sounds simpler than it is. And it, it, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy because then you have to sell it. Then you have to go generate the leads, find the clients, and sell the services. Okay. But it's actually simple to set up. Okay. So you could look at it and say, well, maybe you have three different package offerings and maybe they're at different tiers of pricing. And when most people contact you for the lower one, you push them to the mid-range ones, but you also have a high-range one to make the mid-range one seem more appealing. 
Okay. So the number one thing I get booked for, and I'll go back to independent clients. The number one thing I get booked for is half day photo shoots. I offer smaller photo shoots, I offer full day photo shoots, and then I have a half day photo shoot. Most people choose the half day. Now, value would merit them choosing the full day. Most people choose the half day, though. It's right in the middle. It's where they want to be. Okay. So that is how you can set a financial goal, reverse engineer, and hit it, is get insanely granular. How many do I need to sell every single week? Well, if, you're, if you need to sell two a week and your close rate is 20%, then you need to talk to 10 clients a week. And you close two of them every week, you will hit that $100,000 goal if that, if that aforementioned price was, was what you're doing. And I talked about how there's different ways you can make money. Perhaps maybe you charge $500 for a photo shoot and it includes a certain number of edits, but then you have a upsell package afterwards like, oh, since this shoot went so well, I'd like to offer you this upsell package to get all these extra edits made or to have these prints made or to have this custom gallery made or to you know have these this beautiful book made of your work where you offer people the chance to They've already bought from you, but now they can buy more from you. And maybe it's not a full photo shoot. Maybe it's other ways that you can profit. Okay? So be creative with this. There are so many unique ways that you can connect with clients and offer value. And I think what this whole conversation comes back to is if you're offering value, if there's value in what you're selling and what your services are and what your products are, then it is your job to sell it because you know without question that the value is greater than the investment you're asking people to put in. And if the return on their investment is greater than their investment, then it costs them nothing at all. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Beyond the Image podcast. We appreciate your shares. We appreciate your reviews. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Image. For more information on James Patrick's work and live events, please visit jamespatrick.com or jamespatrickworkshops.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.